Good morning and Merry Christmas, Emmanuel. Now, culturally, Christmas is already in the rearview mirror, but liturgically, we are only on day nine of the 12 days of Christmas, so we can continue on full-on celebration mode. Today's New Testament reading from Ephesians is always read on the second Sunday of Christmas tide, and I think that's because it's all about the amazing gifts that God has lavished on us through the child born on Christmas Day. The second Sunday of Christmas is a great opportunity to continue to unpack all that God has given us. I hope that this Christmas, everyone here received at least one present that you were really happy to get. Not every Christmas works out that way, but my hope is that at some point, we each have had the pleasure of receiving one awesome gift. Someone got us something we really needed and weren't able to get for ourselves, or maybe someone just knew us well enough to surprise us with something we just loved. The Ephesians passage describes how God the Father has lavished us with his gifts. These are gifts that we desperately need, that we can't obtain for ourselves. It also includes gifts that we arguably don't need, but that enhance our lives immeasurably. Gifts whose value is so great that we genuinely struggle to comprehend it. Have you ever received a gift that you knew was pretty cool right away when you opened it, but then later you realized that it was even more meaningful and more precious than you initially realized? Imagine this. Think if someone gave you a gift that was beautifully packaged and when you unwrapped it and pulled back the tissue paper, there was like a solid gold ring or a delicately crafted golden necklace. And so right away, you knew that this was a really valuable gift. Then you learned that this special piece is also really ancient and had originally been owned by a famous person that you knew about and admired. And then you learned that this ring or bracelet or whatever it is had played a part in some really important historical events. And that, not only that, in order to obtain it for you, the giver had had to go on a dangerous quest to find it and win it for you. And then finally, to your surprise and astonishment, you learn that anyone who possesses this exquisite thing gains access to a secret hidden cave full of treasure and crowns and jewels and ancient coins. So now all of that belongs to you too because of this one gift. That's what it's like with the gifts of God. There are layers upon layers of meaning and value to the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you already know that Jesus offers the gift of salvation, the gift of new life in him. And everyone who has entrusted themselves to Jesus knows something about what he has done for us. But if you're like me, you don't often take the time to relish all that that means. And sometimes it's a downright struggle to see how some of these gifts, which look pretty abstract, just written as words on paper, how these gifts affect our lives. The second Sunday in Christmas tide is a great time to open these gifts of God and to savor them.
There is so much here in this one little passage that we can't even sample it all in one morning. This passage, these verses, which when written in the English language, the sentence is over 250 words long, but it's just one single sentence in Greek. One long, very excited and happy sentence. The author of this passage, the Apostle Paul, wrote it not so much as a statement about God and about his gifts, but he wrote it more like a prayer or even a love song about the goodness of God. It is densely packed with really rich theology. We learn about the different persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how they work in harmony with each other. We learn about our own past and present and future. We hear of our election, redemption, forgiveness, adoption, inheritance, purpose. There is a lot in here and theologians go crazy for this passage. Trying to handle it all at once would be like trying to eat an entire signature assortment box of Fannie Mae candies in one sitting. It can be done, but it's probably not the best way to enjoy the treat. Instead, this morning, we're actually going to focus mostly on the one verse that introduces and summarizes this whole prayer. And we'll touch just really briefly on one or two of the other gems that follow. My hope is that as the years go by together, we can revisit other parts of this beautiful text on other Christmastide Sundays. So looking together at verse three then. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right away, you can hear the theme or melody of this passage. Blessed, blessed, blessing. In one sentence, we understand the three aspects of blessing, of blessedness in our lives. Number one, we see that God is blessed. Number two, we see that we are blessed by God. Number three, in Christ, we receive a multitude of blessings. So first, to say, blessed be God, is to render praise to one who is praiseworthy. To bless God is to joyfully acknowledge that there exists a good and powerful God who is worthy of praise. When I say blessed be God or blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm confessing a truth. I'm proclaiming a reality. I am saying something meaningful and true about the universe I inhabit. I see you, God. I see that you are good and holy and praiseworthy. And I personally and joyfully marvel at your worth Blessed be God. Now, a Baptist church I used to attend had its own little liturgy around this. The preacher would say, God is good, and the congregation would respond all the time. And then the preacher would say, all the time, and the congregation knew to respond, God is good. Now, at its worst, this Baptist liturgy felt a little bit like being in a pep rally, like we were hyping ourselves up before the big game. It's not an awesome experience if you don't happen to be feeling it on any given Sunday. But at its best, this Baptist liturgy could reorient us to reality. 
Because if there really is a good God who is good all the time, that is a really good thing to be aware of and to acknowledge all the time. But we'll come back to this. So God is blessed. Blessed be God. Then number two, we are blessed. This second aspect of blessedness flows right from the first. A good and powerful God exists, and we know this because he has demonstrated his goodness and power by blessing us. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us individually and corporately to be drawn into the sphere of his goodness and blessing. And he did this even though you and I have done nothing to merit his favor and blessing. Whatever you want to say about human beings, one thing that you cannot say about us is that we are good all the time. At the beginning, we were good, very good, God affirmed. We were created in the image of God, in all innocence and in faithful communion with him. But when we turned away from God, every aspect of ourselves and our lives became corrupted. I'm not good all the time. There is actual wickedness within me. Yet, in Christ, I am blessed. The Father demonstrates his goodness by sharing his goodness with me. Where I lack goodness, God has shared his perfection with me. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I am brought into the goodness of God. Specifically, we know that God has blessed us in Christ. So apart from Christ, I languish and die. In Christ, I live and I live with him in his perfect goodness. So God is blessed. God is praiseworthy. And we who are in Christ are blessed and favored and included in his perfect goodness. And what have we been blessed with? With all the things. Every good thing of eternal value is ours in Christ Jesus. The goodness of the Father is known most clearly to us by the gift of his son Jesus, whom he sent to earth to open up all the riches of heaven to us. He has withheld no good thing from us. It is all ours in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are spiritual blessings? Some of them are described in the verses that follow this. I tried listing them all out when I was studying the passage, but it's a little bit like trying to describe the essence of a homemade favorite dessert by listing the ingredients in it. Here, please enjoy this plate of flour and butter and sugar and eggs. What does it mean to be blessed by adoption, predestination, redemption, the guarantee of inheritance? We can do little better in our time together than to observe that these various ingredients work together to provide us with security and with purpose. So much of this short passage is aimed at assuring us that God has planned for us to be part of his family since before the foundations of the universe were laid, and that our purpose in life is to live to the praise of his glory. 
Whatever is going on in your life, you can know for certain that God has chosen to bring you into a holy cycle of blessedness. We praise the Lord who blesses us with every blessing. The Lord blesses us with every blessing and we praise his name. We bless the Lord and he blesses us. And we are together forever with the one who made us and loves us. And our inclusion in this everlasting cycle of blessedness is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit for all those who are in Christ Jesus, both now and forever. Amen. See how you can get carried away just trying to summarize something that's glorious? Now, if all of this is true, and I believe that it is, and I know many of you believe it also, why is it so difficult to connect with this reality sometimes? Why do we not go around feeling that God is good all the time and that all the time God is good? This is actually a really important part of receiving our Christmas gifts from God, enjoying them and enjoying the God who is so lavishly generous with us. I can relate to getting excited about beautiful gold jewelry, and I can relate to savoring the flavor of fancy chocolates, but I can't see or touch or taste spiritual blessings. Relating to invisible, intangible spiritual realities is just different from relating to this visible, tangible object. We weren't born into this physical world able to walk in it even. We had to learn to navigate in time and space and make peace with the reality of gravity. When we're born into life, into God's family, there's a similar learning process. How can we learn to incorporate the rich blessings of God into our lives on this side of heaven? I think one of the biggest challenges to enjoying the gifts of God is that the blessings of our spiritual reality exist alongside our experience of life in a fallen world. At every given moment, those who are in Christ are benefiting from the riches of heaven, but at any given moment, we may also be suffering here. Being blessed and being and suffering are not mutually exclusive experiences. God is good all the time. He loves me all the time. But my life is not good all the time and I don't feel beloved all the time. What does it mean to receive the gifts of God in a fallen world? Let me take some examples from this past week and even today. You have perhaps noticed by now that although I am speaking to you, I am not physically present with you. I'm experiencing the disappointment of speaking into a camera lens instead of worshiping with my church family in the house of the Lord. In a very real sense, you and I are not together. In time and space, we are apart. That is disappointing to me. I'm also experiencing comfort from the fact that because I am in Christ Jesus and because you are in Christ Jesus, in another very real sense, we are together in Christ right now. That's comforting to me. 
It's like I'm getting one set of signals from my physical reality and a different set of signals from my spiritual reality. And this can kind of create static or tension in our lives. And take this past week. I found myself wearing a mask inside my own house and I was wandering, spent a lot of the week wandering from bedroom to bedroom, passing out doses of Tylenol and asking over and over again, how are you feeling? Are you better, worse, the same? How are you feeling right now? Better, worse, the same? All week to varying degrees, I could feel the weight of the disappointment, uncertainty, stress, and anxiety that accompanies sickness that has the potential of becoming life-threatening, but isn't at the moment. I also felt genuinely happy that we were and are together in our nice, comfortable house and that no one did have to go to the hospital. We have good input and we have terrible input in our lives. And as believers who are seeking to experience and enter into the blessing of God, it raises a question. Is hashtag blessed just kind of about being an optimist? Is our Christian supposed to be kind of like hype men for God? And are we always supposed to look on the bright side of things and downplay the suffering part? Should we add guilt on top of feeling angry or scared or grief-stricken by our circumstances? In short, no, no, and no. That is not what a Christian is called to do, to be an eternal optimist. If we attend carefully to the blessings that Paul is talking about, we notice that he is specifically calling out our spiritual blessings. We know that every good gift, whether earthly or spiritual, comes from our Father in heaven. So if you had breakfast this morning, that was a gift from God. If the bus arrived 30 seconds after you got to the bus stop, sending up a thank you Jesus is appropriate. If you are in good health today, thanks be to God. These are examples, though, of earthly temporal blessings. The health and relief uh, that my family is experiencing now after a week of uncertainty is a wonderful blessing. It is an earthly temporal blessing. They're very, very meaningful, and it is 100% appropriate to be grateful to God for these blessings. Counting our earthly blessings is a wonderful spiritual practice, and it can be powerfully transformative. But these earthly blessings are not the ones that Paul is talking about. The spiritual blessings that evoke a hymn of praise from him in this passage are gifts but they're not gifts in the same way that your breakfast and a healthy body are gifts. The spiritual blessings that God lavishes upon us ground us in a reality that intersects with our experience, but then actually goes deeper than our experience. And these blessings are ones that have the capacity to transform our lives now and forever. A Good breakfast and a healthy body can express in some way the love of God to us and for us, uh, but they are temporary. They are transitory. They enhance our sense of security. They contribute to the purposes of God in our lives, but in and of themselves, 
They do not provide the purpose and security that being in Christ does and being in that relationship of blessing. Only the work of Christ in history applied to our lives in Christ can provide us with that. The spiritual blessings that a good God has lavished upon us in Christ are the invisible, intangible bedrock and foundation of our lives. His love for us, his choice to adopt us, his call upon our lives to make us holy and blameless for the praise of his glory are the essential facts of existence for those of us who are in Christ. They don't come and go. They're not here today and gone tomorrow. They are eternal and secure forever. So when it's 3 a.m. and nightmare scenarios about spiking fevers and plummeting oxygen levels are flooding the imagination, how possible is it to revel in the blessings of the Lord like Paul does here? As they used to say, your mileage will vary. Sometimes the assurances of the Father's love and care and the security that we have in him seem to roll off our hearts like water off a duck's back, and we don't feel them penetrating. Sometimes the same assurances do allow us to breathe deeper and slower and give a lift and a calm to us that does sustain us in those times of stress. But if there is one word of encouragement that I can offer to you this morning, if you are holding the gifts of God open on your lap and just don't know what to make of this song of bless, bless, blessing, because you haven't been able to feel his blessing in your life, I have to offer just this little reminder. Our experience of our blessedness in Christ is different from the reality of our blessedness in Christ. Again, our experience of our blessedness in Christ is different from the reality of our blessedness in Christ. Maybe that's obvious to you. Maybe it's not. In my life, this has been kind of a developmental um, stage that I have grown into over the years and been so grateful for. Psalm 131 reads, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. As a young child develops, he or she learns object permanence. Just because the mother, the source of that young child's comfort and nourishment is out of sight, that does not mean she ceases to exist. That weaned child is content even when the physical presence of his mother is removed. The more years that I've had to learn to navigate spiritual reality in Christ, the more freedom I feel both to rejoice in the spiritual blessings when I do feel them and to be at peace when I'm not experiencing them. I remember still pretty clearly a night maybe four or five years ago, I was lying on my bed on my back, awake in the middle of the night, and everything was quiet. And I remember being filled with a profound sense of peace and well-being. 
I knew and felt myself to be deeply loved by God. I was filled with gratitude and contentment for my life. I lay awake for several hours just enjoying the warm comfort of my bed and my pillow, feeling the richness of my life in Jesus and in the world that he has made. And I remember another night, also four or five years ago, I was lying in bed on my back, wide awake in the middle of the night. Everything was quiet. And I remember being filled with a profound sense of anxiety and inadequacy. I kept thinking about all the stuff I had intended to do that day and how I had failed to do them. And then I started thinking about all the other things that weren't on that list, but like I probably should have thought to put on it and I should be taking care of those, but I hadn't even thought of them. I laid awake for hours fighting a rising sense of panic about what a crappy person I am and how stressful my life is. And then at some point during that really bad night, I remembered the other night, you know, the one that was full of peace and contentment and a profound sense of well-being. And I thought, wait, that night was like two or three days ago. And I thought, and I thought, what in my life has changed between now and then? Like, how could I feel so in touch with the goodness of God and of his purposes in my life just like two nights ago? And tonight, I'm like fighting off a panic attack. And I realized like nothing had changed. Nothing about my circumstances was different. And yet my experience of my life was profoundly different. Now, it's certainly possible to attribute these differences to things like shifting barometric pressure or the phases of the mood or something like that. Any number of things could influence my experience. But God used that experience to illustrate for me that our experience of their, our blessedness in Christ is separate from the reality of our blessedness in Christ. Just because I do not always feel that bedrock of blessing beneath my feet does not mean that it's not there supporting me and holding me in the cycle of blessing with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I don't have to wait for my circumstances or my biochemical state to shift in order to authentically praise the Lord this Christmas tide. And neither do you. We do not need to deny any temporal reality to go ahead and have the freedom to actively participate in the spiritual blessings of our life. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And blessed be the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who holds us in the cycle of his blessing. Amen.